Good morning. The sermon text for today is from the book of Exodus, surprise, beginning with chapter 40, verse 17. Listen as I read God's word. Exodus 40, 17 through 19. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbar, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you here today. I've been gone for two Sundays, and it feels... Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, it, it, is good, it is good to be able to go somewhere and to not have to be uh, the pastor, and yet I miss being with you all, and I miss, I miss being here. Uh, so I'm glad to be back here this morning, and uh, I invite you to join with me for a word of prayer as we look at this passage together. Lord, we love your word, and we love that, our, that your word uh, points us to you. Lord, we thank you for the way that your word, it convicts us, and it challenges us, and it reveals who you are to us. And Lord, we thank you for the, the gift it is to be able to gather here on a regular basis and talk about the Bible. And we ask that as we look at this passage today, that you would uh, continue to open our minds and open our hearts, and that you would encourage us from your word today. So do your work among us now, we pray, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have, as Matt mentioned earlier, we have come to the end of our time in the book of Exodus. And uh, as somebody told me this morning, the book of Exodus has felt like a very long Minnesota goodbye. It just keeps going on and on and on and on. Uh, there's 40 chapters, and we only did about 21 sermons, so we only did you know, about a message for every other chapter. So there's so much more that we could have talked about, but we chose not to. Uh, but what a, a wonderful time it's been. It's been a long journey. We've been looking at this book essentially since the beginning of this year, and uh, here today we're sort of wrapping this puppy up, and uh, I want to invite you back next week as we begin a new series in the book of Leviticus. We're not doing Leviticus. No. And the fact that you all believe me, that's actually kind of surprising. Maybe I should do Leviticus next, actually. Uh, we're actually going to spend some time looking at the book of Psalms uh, for a couple weeks, and then once we hit the uh, fall kickoff on September 12th, we're going to be uh, doing a series called Gospel Foundations. So stay tuned for more information about that in the weeks to come. 
We want to be a church that uh, not only hears the word preached, not only hears the word taught, not only listens to the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, but we want to also be a church that, that responds to that and is actually changed by that message. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning, as you know, is after we uh, spend just a few moments here looking at this passage, we're going to have some time of uh, some open mic uh, where we're going to give space for you to share what God has been doing in your life through the book of Exodus. And uh, we think there's a unique value in being able to uh, be with one another and hear from people, some of whom that you come here with every Sunday and you, you see and you're great friends with, some of whom you are just getting to know, some of them you don't know very well, some of them you're uh, you know, building relationship with, but to be able to come here in a, group, uh, in, a, in a large group setting like this and to be able to be encouraged by what God is doing among the other people that are here is uh, such a valuable gift. And so we try and take some time. Uh, we typically do this at the end of a sermon series where we will uh, just have some time for, for, for you all to share what God has been doing in your life. So we're going to be doing that today. Um, so uh, there will be some questions that we put up on the screen that are going to help guide your, uh, your thinking in that. We've been sharing these questions over the last couple of weeks, so this shouldn't entirely be a surprise to you. Uh, if it is, you're still welcome to share. Um, we just ask that you would uh, use those questions to help guide your, uh, your responses. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at this passage here in Exodus chapter 40. And as we look at this passage, what we're going to see here today, just very briefly, this is going to be a 10-minute sermon, okay? Um, I got one amen. That's more than I get usually. <laughs> uh, this doesn't happen every Sunday, folks, so enjoy it while it's here. I don't know the next time you're going to get a 10-minute sermon, uh, but we're going to stick to that today. So, uh, we're going to look just uh, very briefly at this passage and want to just sort of summarize and bring to conclusion what we've seen throughout this entire book of Exodus, and it's this. God is unwaveringly committed to keeping his covenant promises. That's what this passage here at the end of Exodus 40, sort of this capstone passage, what it says to us and what has been said all throughout the book of Exodus, that God is unwaveringly committed. He is utterly, stubbornly committed to keeping his covenant promises. He's committed to bringing his redemptive purposes in the world to pass. Now we see this as we look at the book of Exodus, but we have to also recognize and remember that the book of Exodus is a part of a larger story. It's not given to us in a vacuum. And so the book of Exodus is a part of this thing called the Pentateuch, which just means the first five books of the Bible. And those books begin by showing us that God created humanity in his image so that human beings could be with him. We are designed to be in relationship. We are designed to be in the presence of God. But because of the rebellion and the idolatry and the sinfulness of humanity, we have been exiled out of the presence of God, exiled and estranged from him in relationship. So the very thing that we are designed for is the very thing that was forfeited in the garden. And so now we have this sort of conundrum on our hands of this is what we were designed for, but we don't experience it. So what's going to happen? Well, what happens is we see uh, humanity is exiled from the garden, but then God makes a promise. God makes a promise that he's going to redeem and he's going to restore his creation and he's going to bring uh, humanity back into relationship with himself to be back in his presence once again. And that is in part what the book of Exodus is designed to show us, that God is committed, utterly and unswervingly committed to that promise. Of course, as the book of Exodus opens up, we see that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. They are dehumanized. They are treated unjustly. And it's an awful situation that they're experiencing. 
And what the book of Exodus shows us is that that the people need not only to be freed out of slavery under Pharaoh, that is a real and urgent need that they have, but the deeper, greater need they have is to be brought into the presence of God and to be with him. So the very purpose of the Exodus itself is, is not just to give them sort of circumstantial liberation. The purpose of the Exodus is that God's people would be freed out of Egypt, out from underneath the oppression and slavery and ownership of Pharaoh, and be brought into the wilderness so that they could be under the gracious rule and reign of their God and King Yahweh. So the book of Exodus and, and the Exodus event that this book is named after is all about a transfer of ownership. And so we see that God is bringing this purpose to pass. He is bringing his people into his presence. But as soon as they step out of Egypt, it's a bumpy road. We see the people go into the wilderness and they immediately begin to grumble and complain against God. They grumble and complain against Moses because they don't have food and they don't have water. And then they enter into this sort of covenant partnership with God. They enter this covenant relationship with him. And it doesn't take long after that before they are at the base of Mount Sinai and they've created and are worshiping at the feet of a golden calf. And sometimes it almost seems, sometimes when you read the history of the nation of Israel, that they're sort of blowing it on purpose. You know, you look back and you're like, how could you possibly be so foolish? And, and, and honestly, I think we should, when we, when we feel that way, we should recognize uh, it's only when we have uh, ingested, when there's a, that's sort of a, certain amount of arrogance inside of us that's welling up into thinking that, right? That, well, if I was there, I certainly wouldn't have been as foolish as they were. But nonetheless, the people are in the wilderness, they're grumbling, they're complaining against God, and God is unswervingly and unwaveringly committed to bringing his covenant purposes to bear. And it's in spite of his people. The people are, the Hebrew people are not morally or spiritually superior to the nations around them. They're not somehow better off than the nations around them in and of themselves. Uh, God chose them simply because God decided to choose them. God loves them simply because God chose to love them. And it's in spite of the people, it's in spite of their, their propensity, their continual propensity and ours to do what is right in our own eyes instead of following the instruction of the Lord. It's because of, it's in spite of that that God is bringing about his covenant promises to bear. And at the end of the book, the book ends with God, his presence coming down and dwelling in the tabernacle. And if we're just reading from the book of Genesis all the way through and we come to this point, we would probably have this moment of, okay, this is great. This is, God has finally uh, fixed this problem that, the, that, the, that humans have. They've been exiled from his presence, but here, look, God is now present with his people in the tabernacle. And it would almost look like this is, this is where the book should end. <laughs> and yet we continue and, and look throughout the story and read the story of Scripture. And what we see is that, yes, God's presence with, with his people. And the obedience of the people is they've got ups and they've got downs and they've got ebbs and they've got flows. And it's, it's, they're sort of a mixed bag. And what we see with the, the, the presence of God coming to dwell with his people in the cloud and the tabernacle is that it's something of a, something of a, of a first taste of, of the presence of God, but it's not, it leaves us anticipating and longing for, okay, is this it? Is it just there's a cloud that sits over top of this tent and nobody can actually go into the presence of the cloud except for one person once a year? Is that all it is? And it leaves us sort of anticipating and longing for, okay, what, what's next? We know that God has come, he's given himself to his people, but is this it? 
And of course, we come to the New Testament, we follow the story of Scripture forward, and we see that God has, in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus, brought to completion, uh, brought to fulfillment, this presence that was dwelling in the tabernacle. Because in the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes, this is God himself, this is the second member of the Trinity who has taken on human flesh and who has accompanied us in our humanity. The one who created and sustains all things has taken on creation, has become a part of his created order and world in order to be close to us. And so, whereas in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, you either hear God's voice coming down from on high, or you see this sort of nebulous cloud that's there. You come to the New Testament in the person of Jesus, and the presence of God with us has a face. The presence of God with us is a human person who is like us in every way except he did not sin. So God gives us his presence in the Old Testament and God gives us his presence more fully in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus says this very odd, strange thing. The night before he dies, he says to his followers, he says, hey guys, uh, so I'm gonna go get killed now and then I'm gonna raise from the dead and I'm going to ascend and I'm gonna go back to my father and I'm going to leave you. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa hold on, God has finally come to be with us and now he's going to leave. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, it's better that I leave you. And that doesn't make any sense. Except Jesus says, it's better that I leave you because when I leave, I'm going to give you who? I'm going to give you the presence of the Spirit. So now the presence of the Spirit of God can dwell with and among the people of God, both collectively and individually. And so we see in the Old Testament, there's sort of this, this voice from on high that turns into a cloud, and then it's a person, and then we get the Spirit of God who is given to every single person who has been made alive in Jesus. Every person who has given their trust and their allegiance to Jesus now receives the gift of the Holy Spirit who's present with us wherever we go in, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And so God himself is becoming, uh, is making himself available, is making himself present with his people. And then there's this promise that we see at the end of Scripture, uh, that one day the world will be remade, this world will be restored, it will be renewed, we will live in a new heavens, a new earth where sin will be eradicated, the consequences, the, the curses of sin will be undone, and God will once again dwell with his people in a restored, renewed earth that exists without the presence of sin. And so we have this promise where the, 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 the story begins in the garden with God being present with his people, and it ends in a city that's got a garden in the middle of it, and God is then present with his people. And so the whole story of Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, is a story of God has designed human beings to live and to be in his presence. That's what we were designed for. That was lost, and God has been unwaveringly committed and utterly stubborn in bringing about his covenant purposes, which is the restoration of that relationship, and God himself once again coming to dwell with his people. And so what this means is as we see these promises in the book of Revelation laid out, and as we see Jesus telling his disciples, I'm going to come back in the same way I came to you, which is bodily, we see Jesus making these promises, and, and sometimes we can uh, sort of maybe lose sight of that. We can sometimes, um, it, it can seem maybe too good to be true. And yet what we know from the story of Scripture and from what we've seen in the book of Exodus is that we can trust God with those future promises that he's made because he has been unwaveringly committed to keeping his covenant promises. 
And there's a lot of stuff that we see in our world, a lot of stuff that we experience that would scream at us and say, God has abandoned you. God is not with you. God does not love you. God is not for you. There's so many things that we see and experience that would scream that to us, and yet we, we hold on to the promise that God has been faithful in the past, and so we can trust him with our future. And that's good news. Amen? So what we're going to do now is I want to open this up uh, to the rest of you to hear what it is that God has been doing in your life through the book of Exodus. And uh, just a couple simple instructions for this. Number one is we've got these questions here that we've given to you for a number of weeks. So you should have had time to look at these and think about these. And uh, we just ask that you would keep your responses specific to uh, the book of Exodus and what God has been showing you through that. Um, Also, I'm going to walk around with the mic, and I'm going to hold the mic, okay? So don't get grabby with it, because I will just pull it back. And the reason that I will do that is in case uh, someone decides to be long-winded or drone on, I will just start going like this, and I will take the mic away from you, okay? (laughs) So we want to encourage you... uh, One to three minutes is okay if you want to just share what God has been doing in your life through the book of Exodus, what you're learning, how God's using it to shape you. Uh, We encourage you to um, just flag me. I'll stop over and uh, I'll hold the mic for you and then we'll head on to the next person. But keep it brief, keep it focused, and uh, I just am excited to hear what you all have have to say. So, who's going to be the person who uh, gets to go first? Oh, Sherry. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's great. <laughs> okay. Um, in Exodus 33, when Moses came down and the people were sinning with the golden calf and he broke the tablets, and um, that's a little too close. Thank you. Um, Sorry, I'm not doing a good job at this. <laughs> um, and God punished the people, even though he had told Moses he wouldn't. And so when this call went out to talk about what God has, what, what, what you're seeing in Exodus, I chose that one. And then the next week, Pastor Matt preached on pretty much the same thing, the concept of why does God deal with sin and why does God judge sin? Um, and one of the questions that I really, really, really dealt with for many, many years, probably until two years ago, was how can a loving God condemn people to hell? that just didn't make sense. And I think that's the wrong question. Um, The question is, um, how can a loving God not deal with sin? Because sin by its nature, what God has declared sin is what separates us from him. Everything that's sin is what separates us from him. And so he loves us and he knows that sin hurts us. And so he has to separate us from that sin in order to protect us And so it has to be dealt with. So the question is not how can a loving God condemn his people to hell. It's how can we um, reject that incredible, overwhelming love of God and condemn ourselves to hell. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Sherry. Who's next? Benjamin? Um, I think in answer to, to kind of one and three together, God's character and um, just how it's influenced me, we all know there's been a lot of <clears throat> upheaval 
in our world, our country for the last. Bad comment. That's it. He cut me off. He said no more. We've all felt it, the upheaval of our world in so many ways, right? Culturally, socially, pandemics, politics, uh, issues with race, all kinds of things, economics. And that, that upheaval has not, the American church, the gospel-believing American church, hasn't, hasn't been immune to that upheaval. And um, we, we've seen some of the issues of previous churches we've been to, friends who've left churches, some friends who've left the faith. And I think Exodus has really helped me to see that um, if we only look at what's in front of us immediately, we're not seeing the picture of what God is doing and the story that he's telling. And sometimes when we're in those valleys and harder places, whether it's personally or seeing the world as it is and what's happening, remembering that God is faithful through up and down, Remembering that Jesus is with us and God is with us and he is working something uh, better than we could ask or imagine. And so that's been just encouraging to kind of look at all of this upheaval and know we still have a faithful God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Benjamin. Mike? So I've been uh, thinking about, like, the vow renewal that I'm doing in a couple of weeks with Cheryl and the Lord, the thing that hits me is the faithfulness of, of the Lord Jesus and the work of Jesus um, with regard to number two. It's that he was there at the beginning. He's, he's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. You know, it's like trusting, you know, his, his faithfulness. And uh, that's what it, uh, kind of sells, says back to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Mike. Jen and then Sandy. Well, um, so you went through like about what, 20 talks on Book of Exodus? So I know. Every other, yeah. other chapter. Uh, number one thing that's st- stood out to me is this wilderness experience of Israelites, for instance. You know, they're heading toward promised land. There is just wandering around. There is confusion. And God is guiding still. There is a confused state, you know. And um, those that are faithful and those that are confused and rebelling. So it's it shows a picture of you know, back in the time of Israelites, nation of Israel, and then churches here, uh, I think experience with some Christian families, there's like confusion and, you know, problems within Christian communities, you know. So how to bring focus and uh, how does God guide us as communities or individually? 
how does God guide us, you know. Definitely, you know, there's a wilderness experience that I had, the confusion, you know, how to bring things focus and how God, how does God guiding me or individually or communities, you know. So, yeah. And sort of like what Benjamin was saying, it's, it's easy to, in those wilderness moments, get so stuck on, here's my circumstances. And, and to sort of lose, lose sight of the, the bigger picture of what God is doing. Hi. I'd like to share Exodus 15, um, 2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. I can identify with what Jim said about being in the wilderness, you know, different situations that come up, but we can trust him. He's our strong tower. Jesus is our strength and our defense, and we can come out, and, and I like this um, fellowship that we can encourage each other in the hard times and rejoice in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Who else? more, I might start calling on people. Just kidding, I won't do that. <laughs> That'd be so cruel. Maddie? Uh, I just wanted to say that I, you know, this has been like Jen said, weeks and weeks of going through Exodus. Like, is how many months we've been at this? Like, probably like five, six months or more, eight months, something like that. And I think that I just want to commend you for putting it all together. I feel like the amount of time it took to like say, okay, here's 40 chapters of Exodus. What's going to be the most important things and what are we going to highlight? I think that takes a lot of work. And so I don't say good work. That was not a plant, by the way. I didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> Suzanne. Suzanne and Roger. Oh, okay. He's a little bit closer, I guess. <laughs> well, I was... Uh, you know, there was so much to it that uh, it's, it's really... I could... Not that I could talk a lot, but uh, I could talk a lot about this. So the, uh, the cloud and the fire, you know, just today, I'm, I'm thinking what, what could I recognize today is God being the cloud and the fire, um, showing his presence, and for me to see that and, and, observe, and f- observe and follow and be obedient. And I think much of my life I've just lived kind of oblivious and, and not... You know, more like the Israelites when, you know, some cer- certain circumstance comes up and I make my own calf, golden calf, or I kind of do things on my own. But what's, uh, I think what's jumping out is being observant. Being, I always told Holly and Mitch when they were growing up to, uh, you know, be aware of your surroundings and, you know, see when you can help someone or, or that. But I got to look at that for my own um, purpose and, see where God is leading me, God is uh, working, and to just have a, a, 
awareness of that, which will draw me closer to him and um, have a have a deeper relationship. So just to uh, just to seek him. Thanks, Roger. What I have, what, yikes. Yeah, push it back. They need to hear you, though. Okay. Um, what has really stood out to me is God's judgment and God's mercy. And the message that Pastor John brought on the severe mercy of God. And when we think of the word severe, we think of something uh, that's very harsh, something that um, may or may not be deserved. And when we think of God's severe mercy, I think of God's compassionate, severe mercy. And there's nothing like God's severe mercy that restores us, that brings us to more closely to a likeness of Jesus Christ. His severe mercy is, is uh, indescribable and not something to be afraid of, but some, a, a work of God to just totally be embraced and loved and and have confidence and brings us assurance. Yeah. Thanks, Suzanne. Anyone else? I'll just share briefly, and this somewhat overlaps with what Suzanne just said, so I won't uh, belabor this point, but I think there, there's things, as, as you look at the Old Testament in particular, and books like Exodus, there are questions that are raised, uh, questions related to God's actions and his character and who he is and what he's like and how he acts in the world, and so, for example, in Exodus chapter 1, we look at Pharaoh commanding the killing of the Hebrew babies, and we say, you monster. And then later in the book, God himself is the one who kills all the firstborn who don't have the blood over the doorpost. And we see, we see God as gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in faithful, loyal love, and yet he won't leave the guilty unpunished. And so we sort of see these, we get these little sort of pictures, these little vignettes of who God is and what he's like. And it can be sort of hard to, to sort of bring these things together and sort of um, maybe reconcile them is, is not the right word choice, but to, to sort of just wrestle with it. And I think what, what becomes clear in a book like Exodus is that, is that God does not, he does not fit our expectations. God does not conform to what we want him to be. He is who he is. And we get to, get to learn to know who he is for, for who he is. And even though we don't understand everything, 
everything we do need to know, God has given us in his word. And so as we look at these things and we, we say, you know, some of this stuff maybe doesn't make sense to us or it sort of uh, makes us feel somewhat uncomfortable or we have questions about it, uh, those things that we maybe have questions about, we read those in light of what we know to already be true. And so what we know is true is that God loves his people. What we know is true is God is faithful to his covenant promises. And so all of the things that we would say, you know, this doesn't make sense to me, this doesn't sit right with me, this sort of makes me feel uncomfortable, we read and understand all of those things in light of what we do know to be true about who God is. And so that gives us some perspective. And I think it's only when we have sort of already given way to some of the cultural pressures around us that we start trying to uh, make excuses for God and who he is. Uh, instead of joyfully and gladly embracing a God that we can't fully understand and that we can't uh, sort of pin down and put our finger on. And I just think it's, it's, it, it's great to be able to worship a God who does, not, uh, who does not fit inside of the boxes that we create. And that is a gift, to be able to just sit underneath his word and to, to let his word be our uh, instructor and to let his spirit take this word and, and drive it deep down into our hearts and cause us to believe the gospel more deeply. And it's books like this and, and the rest of scripture that does that. And so what a, what a privilege to be able to meet on a regular basis and to think about these things together and to be uh, shaped by it as a community. Well, what we get to do now is we get to come to the communion table together. And this is the way that we get to, on a weekly basis, uh, celebrate and be reminded of uh, the faithfulness and the generosity of God and remind ourselves that he is a God who will always keep his covenant promises. And he's kept those covenant promises most clearly expressed to us in the person of Jesus. And so as we come forward today, uh, as we stand up out of our seats and come receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, uh, what that signals is that is us uh, making a step of faith, uh, saying with our physical bodies, uh, choosing to trust Jesus by coming forward. And so whether that's for the first time here today or whether that's for the thousandth time, uh, we encourage you to uh, come forward down the center aisle. There will be a station where you can receive um, the elements and you can drop your cups on your way back to your seat if you'd like or you can take it all back to your seat and spend some time communing uh, and spending time in reflection and confession with the Lord there.